uh, the question that you're asking, which is like, what do we need to be worried about? What do we need to be thinking about from a vulnerability landscape standpoint? Um, it's not exclusively just the threat actor trying to break our space vehicles, but it's also uh, people who might be trying to uh, impede the training process of all of this data that's happening for some of these machine learning systems. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, Downlink listeners. This week, we have a very thoughtful discussion on artificial intelligence, space, and defense. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes of this month, I encourage you to do so as they give a foundation on just what AI is and is not. AI is a hot topic in all the major media outlets. But to be honest, most are looking at it from 30,000 feet as opposed to from above the Carmen line. I'm not trying to be shady here. AI is very complicated, super powerful, and revolutionary, according to Microsoft's founder, Bill Gates, and pretty much anyone I ask. Earlier this week, when Gates wrote his blog, he described the development of AI as being as fundamental as the creation of the microprocessor. He wrote that entire industries will reorient around it and that the businesses that skillfully wield AI will be the winners. Couple that with the Space Force's pivot to seeking a variety of capabilities like launch, satellite health monitoring and pursuit satellites from the commercial space sector, you kind of see where this is going. And let's not forget, space operations, whether it be launch, on orbit, or on the ground, are managed through computers, which makes space operations, whether the sector is civil, commercial, or defense, a deep pool of opportunities for AI applications. So while Gates is thinking about how his foundation can leverage AI to reduce some of the world's worst inequities, I've been thinking a lot about whether we're doing our best to lock down AI's possible vulnerabilities. AI is based on computer code, usually in the computer language Python. And computer code is just what state and non-state hackers target. The pacing threat in space is China. The People's Liberation Army has housed its space and cyber capabilities under one roof for a reason. China has also openly advertised its desire to destroy and dispose of SpaceX's Starlink system because of the strategic effects that satellite communications constellation has delivered to the battlefield in Ukraine. And Chinese and even Russian cyber warriors, you bet, are probably fluent in AI's main programming language, Python. So to understand the state of play on securing AI... We have Sam Visner of the Aerospace Corporation and Greg Falco from Johns Hopkins University's Institute for Assured Autonomy. Here's our conversation. Hi, Sam. Greg, welcome back to the Downlink. Good to be here, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us, Laura. Good to be here. Sam, you know it's been way too long since you've been on the podcast. Did you know that the last time was in November 2021? I did. In fact, I remember it very clearly. I think it was just after the Aspen Security Conference that took place here in Washington, Laura. 
now you're with a different organization. And so that means we've got a wee bit of catching up to do. So Sam, take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're working now. Sure. Thanks. Well, um, I've been working in cybersecurity and before that, uh, intelligence and at the intersection of those two things for a long time. Um, I've served in industry. I've run a couple of cybersecurity businesses, and I served as chief of signals intelligence programs in NSA. And recently, I served as director of the cybersecurity federally funded research and development center at MITRE, and then as a as a tech fellow at MITRE. And I've become a technical fellow at the Aerospace Corporation just about a week and a half ago. Aerospace is um, is also a federally funded research and development center. Um, I didn't grow up in the space business, Laura, but over the last few years, people have come to me and said, well, the cybersecurity of space systems is important. There's a paper you ought to read. There's a briefing you should see. There's a meeting you should attend. There's a new space information sharing and analysis center being established. We should join it. Maybe you should be on the board. And then last year, for reasons that surpass understanding, I was made the vice chair of the board of directors. And that has allowed me to work um, very actively, and I, I hope to some good effect, at the intersection of cybersecurity and space systems. Um, and I moved to aerospace because working in space systems is that organization's principal mission. And it seemed to me that it would give me access to even more really great people um, whose whose expertise would be useful in this endeavor, and it would allow me to to operate with a with a, an even more uh, prominent platform in the space environment, as 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 MITRE also did. So really, what's consuming me these days is are some key questions: Should space systems be critical infrastructure sector? Yes. If so, what does that mean? Should there be a sector risk management agency? Um, what should be its responsibilities? How do we share information effectively? What kind of information really is useful? Um, what kind of information can be shared most, most quickly and most transparently? How do we encourage the broadest stakeholder community to be involved? How do we make sure that, that national security systems are secure, but the civil systems and now the commercial systems on which our economy depends, our critical infrastructure depends, and yeah, our national security and global commitments. Look at the Ukraine depend. How can we secure those? So, you know, this is, you know, this is somewhat late in my career. And late in my career, I, I thought, well, will I start something new? Will I get involved in something new? And all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but rather swiftly, I became involved and got to work at the center of the intersection of space and cybersecurity, which is a really exciting development at this point in my life. So I hope that that helps you sort of frame uh, who I am and the journey to getting here. It does. Thank you. And Greg, you were on the podcast earlier this year. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you're working on now. Absolutely, Laura. And Sam, it's such a pleasure always to to be on uh, any meeting with you, even though we spend a lot of time together, I think, in meetings. I always enjoy uh, hearing your insights. So this is awesome to be able to speak with you today. Um, so on my my own background, I'm currently an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, my work is on space security, uh, and it specifically looks at mission-resilient autonomy. And so what we do is we design, develop new mission architectures for you know, 10, 20 years out for how space needs to operate. And we look at everything from ground sector, uh, ground segment operations to the space vehicle. 
Uh, a lot of this does often come back to cybersecurity, but a lot of it also comes up to up with using the latest and greatest computing techniques for uh, any kind of space assets and operations. And a lot of that also comes down to engaging new AI and machine learning techniques for this purpose. And so some of the most recent things that we're working on is actually trying to figure out how do we take some of these very heavy compute uh, requirements for AI and machine learning technique techniques and bring them onto the space vehicle. Uh, and so projects that are relating to that is something, we have something called Space Iron Dome, uh, which is about developing a cyber resilient mechanism to essentially hack back uh, when you get attacked in space. Um, and this is all autonomous. We have other projects that are more relating to engaging in trustless exchange of information and services, all also facilitating using uh, different AI techniques. So. A lot of fun things going on right now, but we always look like 10 to 20 years out on the horizon uh, for these research programs. That's amazing. And, you know, I will be coming back to you soon on that. And now, when I contacted you guys to lure you back, I told you that I was seeing a lot of excitement about AI from the DOD in general, especially from the U.S. Space Force and definitely in the commercial sector. You know, there's a lot of hype around artificial intelligence and space systems. Even Bill Gates is calling AI, quote, the most important advance in technology since the graphical user interface unquote. But from the DOD, I've seen a lot of statements over the past year, a number of contract announcements. And I told you that I wondered how seriously is everyone taking security? You know, and before you answer that question, maybe it's better to roll back the tape a little bit and start off with this simpler question. Outside of missions like NASA's Mars rover, you know, how prevalent or how much is artificial intelligence being used today in space operations? Well, this is Sam. I, I, I can't, Laura, tell you um, the extent to which everybody is using AI in space operations, but I think inevitably it will be. And here are some of the ways, and I'm sure Greg will think of more and other smarter people will think of more, but here are some. One might use AI to judge launch conditions more effectively and determine with more precision when a launch window is, a, is, is appropriate. One might use AI to try to model threats against space systems and model the mitigations against them, just as I think AI is useful to model both offensive cyber attacks and to perhaps create malware on the fly and you can use AI, and some companies are now trying to wrap this into cybersecurity products to detect anomalous behavior in very complex networks. Um, I think AI will be used as well uh, on orbit. Um, I think, for example, we'll be looking at, at, at satellites that not only have remote imaging, but we'll have AI. So that instead of the imaging going to a disaster uh, manager in California or Florida or some other place, and them having to try to determine what that image means. The AI on orbit will not only beam them that image and say, here's what's happening. And by the way, here's what I think is happening in terms of the evacuation route from this town to this hospital. And you should consider using this evacuation route to either to this hospital or to another hospital. And having AI on orbit, I think, to do some of that pre-processing of data that will allow more contextualized use of that information is going to be very powerful. Now, a lot of attention is being paid by people to the security of AI. Uh, 
whether or not the data can be poisoned, whether or not, and you know, the classic example is uh, the AI system sees a stop sign and instead it says go 55 miles an hour, you know, and runs over and and runs over the uh, crossing guard and the children um, to making sure that the environment in which AI itself is created, the development environment is also secure. So I think people are very, very sensitive to this. Having said all of that, AI is not yet infallible. I asked AI about myself. I asked one of these engines, and it wrote a very nice biography of me, including the award of a degree from Drexel University, a campus on which I've never set foot. So it can infer <laughs> from information it has about my career things that are credible, but not necessarily true. Um, and if you're credulous, you might one uh, you might believe it. So those are among the things that I think are being done. I think it will be useful to be able to model and probe attacks. And as one issue that we're facing, particularly in commercial space, is the rise of the new hyperscaler. So if you think of Google or Amazon or Microsoft as 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 hyperscalers, now connect them with global networks of satellites providing back five uh, G backplanes connected to hundreds of millions of users and billions of IoT devices and connected to road infrastructures, rail infrastructures, power infrastructures, water infrastructures, looking at these infrastructures and detecting anomalous behavior in a network so complex that you don't even know what baseline behavior looks like. I think AI will be a very powerful tool for doing that. And the sooner we get about it, the better off we'll be. And, and Sam, where do you think AI will be, say, in three years or five years or even 10? Well, that's a, a tremendously good question. I don't know exactly where it's going to be. Um, there are many things that I've, I've in my life have failed to predict. But I do think we will use it more broadly in finding uh, anomalous behavior in complex networks. I read Bill Gates' article. I do think that we will do a better job of making fast, useful clinical judgments. You know, what should be the next educational goal for this student? How do we help overcome this student's learning impediment? Um, what should be the right course of treatment for this patient? In what order might we want to see patients, given that we may have more patients than we have resources to be able to care for them at any given time? I think within three to five years, that kind of thing will become routine. In the national security sense, one of the things for which I've argued is that in addition to embedding AI and weapon systems, we ought to be using it for the course of battle. If you think about a smart city, which is mediating power or water or road resources based on lots of sensors, you know, why would not a battlefield commander be using AI to look at a complex, highly dynamic battlefield situation and using that to inform the commander about possible and advantageous courses of action. I would be surprised if we don't start to see some of that kind of thinking fairly soon, and maybe within three to five years, to see that as part of our concept of our doctrines and concepts of operations. And Greg, this next question is really for you, because, you know, we've had the internet for decades, since 1983. That's four decades. But it's clear that the policy in that sector isn't quite what we'd all hoped for. And AI has been a thing for something like seven decades. But here's my quandary. And this has nothing to do with computers becoming self-aware and deciding to kill us all. 
I'm more concerned about the state and the non-state actors, right? So at the current rate of technological development of space systems like Constellation, Starlink size systems, and the pace of AI development, you know, put that all together with our military leaders' strong desire to use AI, it just makes me wonder if we've done our best to lock down the possible vulnerabilities that, say, China or Russia are seeking to identify and exploit. In in your view, what are the possible vulnerabilities? You know, what do we need to be thinking about? It's a it's a question that needs a lot of time, uh, and I think a lot of people need to answer that question. Uh, but but I think that uh, the way I would start by trying to characterize this is that at least in space, AI has actually not had the uptake that people may expect it has as a sector. Um, for example, NASA generally talks about AI, and they've been using it for decades, as you mentioned, but it's really in the planning and scheduling sense. And so there's like kind of different fields of AI work. Uh, you have ones where it's more uh, deterministic, where you have a scheduler, where it's kind of just saying, here's a whole sequence of events that needs to happen, if-then statements. That's kind of AI too, right? Then you have planning, uh, where you are saying, we're going to have some optimization function that would uh, plan a series of events to occur in a specific sequence, and then you do those events. And this type of AI is what's been used on our rovers and our uh, autonomous space vehicles to date. Um, now, the new kind of wave of AI, which is not so new, uh, because it also has been around from a like, mathematical standpoint for decades, uh, is really on the machine learning and neural network side of the house, uh, which is very processing intensive. And therefore, it's much harder to bring some of that work into space because of all of the intense power requirements and compute requirements that would be needed in order for this to happen. So with that context in mind, uh, knowing that maybe we are in a great scale of advancement for AI and ML um, and neural networks right now, I can see a lot of advancement happening more so on the ground at first than I would see happening in space. And that we obviously do quite a bit of work on the ground for uh, space vehicles and, and ground segment uh, operations. And there's quite a bit of security challenges with our ground segments. Um, and so directly relevant to uh, the question that you're asking, which is like, what do we need to be worried about? What do we need to be thinking about from a vulnerability landscape standpoint? Um, it's not exclusively just the threat actor trying to break our space vehicles, but it's also uh, people who might be trying to uh, impede the training process of all of this data that's happening for some of these machine learning systems. And just for those who aren't as well-versed, for to do machine learning, you need to have a lot of training information. I mean, you have to have a lot of data that helps that model learn how, to, how it operates. And so it's very easy to poison that training data set. Um, and so that's a big security challenge because we don't really know often who's making these training data sets. And this is often open source or is publicly available. Anyone can pop something into that. Um, and you can really easily distract that model from doing the right thing, and which is obviously very problematic, especially if you're using it uh, in the case where Sam was just describing for national security senses. You know, we need to know kind of who trained that model and where that data came from and all of those things. Um, just one other thing to throw out there, you mentioned it earlier in the question about some policy and regulation and how long it took for us to kind of get on top of this topic. Um, I would say that it took a long time for us to get some pathway forward for internet policy and, and regulation. 
Um, I think that from AI, we're going to start seeing that happen a lot more quickly because we realize how powerful technology is and what and how ubiquitous it will be in the near future. Uh, there is the EU AI Act, which uh, was recently um, proposed, and I, I don't know what state and effect that is at this point, but it would actually follow a similar course to what happened with GDPR, which is the Privacy Preserving Act for the EU, where every company that engages with any EU citizen would have to make sure that their technology is meeting some privacy standards. And similarly for the EU AI Act, they're going to have requirements for any European who actually engages with that AI technology to also meet certain standards. And of course, you know, our technology is, is ubiquitous and it's global. So that means that basically every technology company, space included, if they're engaging at all with Europeans, which it will, will have to be meeting these standards and regulations, these requirements. Uh, so this is all good fodder for, we don't know exactly what's next, but something's coming big and uh, from a policy regulation standpoint in your future. May I, may I echo a point, Greg, that you made? Um, I've, I've been working on a chapter on a book on, on policy issues relating to the use of artificial intelligence for cyber defense. And one of the things that really, I don't want to say concerns me, but it is, it is, an, it is an issue and a challenge, is that the ethical foundation for our actions generally rests with the people taking the action. But the ethical foundation for an action taken by an AI system may rest with the programmer, with the programmer's values, with the programmer's preferences, with the programmer's experience. Um, and that's certainly got implications if you're driving a self-driving or AI-powered car. If you're running a sort of AI-powered battlefield, particularly in, you're trying to, in circumstances where you're trying to obey the, the laws of war and not injure civilians unnecessarily, um, that you're taking the Geneva Convention seriously, for example, um, you may find that your ability to do so is defined and constrained not by what you do, but by the programming of the AI system you employ. And you may have to live with the consequences of this, and other people will live or die with the consequences of this. And I don't think we have that sorted. I don't think we have that sorted at all. Not yet. Good agree more, Sam. So now that we understand the vulnerabilities, you know, and we kind of know what's not in place really to address those vulnerabilities, but who is in charge now here in the United States, you know, for the DOD and for the commercial sector to, to wrap their arms around this? Wow. Well, I guess to some extent we're all in charge. DOD at the policy level, and 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 I have to say I'm not an expert, has in fact put out a series of, of, of policy statements about the use of AI and particularly about its use in a way that is that attempts to be responsible for minimizing collateral damage and the and and the suffering of civilians. So from a policy perspective, we are beginning to see to see that. And I wouldn't be surprised if over time the White House generalizes some policy principles for both the development and the application of, of AI. Um, within you know, specific sectors, transportation, energy, I think you know, right now the use of it has been towards the optimization of specific resources. So there haven't been big implications to be faced yet by the public. 
if we begin to mo to manage an entire infrastructure, say the combination of electric self-driving cars and roads, and other and you know when to recharge and, the car, when the car should go, what route it should take, you know, then I think and a satellite constellation guidelines. that's going to be you know sending right. that data right, and that will also possibly be making you know computations at the edge, which means computations on orbit and then sending it down to Earth, right? You, you have it. That's exactly right. So, Greg, as your really closest, in a way, to space systems and really, you know, having a hands-on and looking at AI and cybersecurity and the security of our space assets, both, you know, off-world and here on the ground, you know, what do we need to do I mean, from the administration side to even the legislative side, what what does the United States need to do to lock this down and, and at the very least keep our space assets safe and also leveraging this amazing technology? I think we need to move towards voluntary standards that would help us to understand how to better use AI in a safe and ethical way, especially for space systems. And so, for example, um, we recently just got approval to develop an international standard with IEEE on space system cybersecurity. And honestly, AI needs to be a part of that um, as we develop this ecosystem out. And so this goal of for forcing, essentially forcing uh, our ecosystem to move towards a one level playing field when it comes to security and how we're going to be engaging with AI, uh, that's exactly where we need to be headed. And Sam? You must have a view. I know you. Well, I think my view is still formative. I would echo what Greg would say. I, I couldn't add much to it, except I would say this. As we develop AI systems, in addition to modeling their effectiveness, we need to model their vulnerabilities. We need to do that very carefully. We need to ask not just how well it makes a decision, not just how well it does this pre-processing on orbit, not just to, to to find out, you know, how well it handles this. It, it makes recommendations about uh, the course of action on the battlefield or the allocation of electrical power resources in a city. But we need to ask ourselves and maybe use other AI on AI tools. You know, how can we model the vulnerability of this? If something went wrong, what would be its effect? How would we know something was going wrong? AI systems are very complex. We might not know something was going wrong until the consequences had been magnified. You know that 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 something goes wrong and a and and a transformer setting is not quite right. You know, on a device in your house might not be immediately noticeable, but it could have knock-on effects if that were magnified to the power grid. And the question is, are we doing enough to model not only the use of AI but to model the vulnerabilities of AI? And that's the one thing I might conceivably add uh, to the discussion at this point. Sam, Greg, thank you so much for your time. As always, it's a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Kavis Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening. Thank you.